the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 1. Would you join me with your Bibles in Psalms chapter 1 today? And we've titled today's message Psalms 1, which really uh, lays out an awesome foundation for the rest of this book of 150 Psalms now. But the first chapter, we're going to see how the psalmist David now is laying out this foundation of a man and a person, a man or woman that loves the Lord and loves the Word of God. And that's why we titled the message today, The Blessed Life. <laughs> the Blessed Life, because we want to know what it means to live a life of true happiness. Yes, I said the word happiness. We want to know what it means to live a life of true happiness. You know, in the world that we live in today, in our time, in our culture, as we are watching the news, as we're getting alerts, uh, we know that we are living in a time of division. And because we're living in a time where the world is divided, the world needs, or a divided world needs a united church. This is exactly what the world needs. It needs a united church. But not only any kind of united church, it needs a united church that is standing on prayer and is standing on the Word of God. And that we would stand on the principles of God's Word. And I want to encourage you, even tonight, that we would go deeper than just social issues and we would go into the issues of the heart, into the issues of the soul. Because there in the heart and in the soul of man lies the sin and the, the wickedness and the, and the evil now. And, and yes, we, we know of the wickedness and the evil acts of, that's taking place around us. But those are just symptoms now of the real problem that is taking place in the heart. And all of this, I hope, is reminding us that we're living in a very broken world that needs Jesus that needs a Savior, and that we ought to turn now people to Jesus Christ, that they would receive Him as Lord and Savior, and get a new heart transplant, so that they become a new person that loves the way God's called us to love. You see, we really value soul transformation over behavior modification. Because we know soul transformation is permanent. And as we're getting involved, I, I really want to encourage you to get involved in the issues of the heart. Because that's the real issue, the heart. That is the real issue. But here as we go to Psalms chapter 1, we're going to do a brief introduction of Psalms. Someone recently came up to me even this week and said, Hey, our, I really believe that, you know, why don't we, or I want to ask, can we just please sing some hymns at church during the worship time, which I thought was so awesome because I myself love hymns. And now God's taking us to 150 hymns that we're going to study and read. And yes, maybe we'll sing some of them. It's going to be such a special time. Uh, this book of Psalms of 150 now hymns, or it's called a book of praises now. Psalms means the word songs now, of praises. It's filled with prayers now. It's filled with poetry, this 150 book that we have. Not only that, but for Jewish believers, when it was written, it, they, they saw it as a book that was divided into five other different books. And those five other different books were now divided through poetry, through praise. They were divided now even through uh, prayers now in the book of Psalms. And book one and two of Psalms, we know that most of it was written by the psalmist or by the King David. 
The book one, or the first book of the book of Psalms, as it's now compiled for us, but it's from chapters 1 through 41, book one, and then from chapters 42 to now, now 72 is book two. In those first two installments of the book of Psalms, we know that they're written by David mostly. These are written by David as he's a shepherd, and then as he's now aspiring and anointed to be king now, as the Lord is raising him up. But then book three now, it's, it's written by Asaph and the sons of Korah. And those chapters go from chapter 73 to chapters 89. That's the third installment of the book of Psalms. And then from now chapters 90 to 107, from chapters 90 to 107, that is the fourth installment of the book of Psalms or the fourth book in the book of Psalms. And that mostly was combined by David, by Solomon, by Moses. And then the fifth book of Psalms was written from Psalms 107 to 150. And we have some anonymous authors there uh, that, that maybe we don't know who they were, but as it was compiled together through the poetry, through the prayers, and through the praise now, and the Bible was being put together, we saw that those were included now in this beautiful book that we call Psalms. Now David, as he is the majority author in the book of Psalms, really makes it a point to describe, number one, the acts of God in creation and history. Now if you're writing notes, I really pray that you would, I would encourage you to do so as we make an introduction of this book. But number one, what he does is now he describes the acts of God in creation and in history through this book. We see him now uh, describe the sun and the moon now and, and the mountains now to describe the majesty and the glory of God through these songs. And number two, what he does is that he also uses it to describe the history of the nation of Israel in the book of Psalms. We know that as he's being raised up to be king, he, he knows and he's a part of the history of the nation of Israel. So he mentions a lot of the history in the book of Psalms through now this word that we're going to learn today named or called doxology. Doxology. And what does that word mean? It means the worship and the praise of God. Doxology. The worship and praise of God. That's exactly what he does for this 150 chapters that we have compiled through several authors. And we see that these songs are songs of jubilation, songs of victory, now songs of war. Songs of peace now that David is writing and the author, other authors are writing. Songs of thanksgiving. <laughs> what kind of songs are you writing in your journal today? Are they songs of maybe poetry or jubilation, a, a victory, songs of peace? Maybe there's even some songs of judgment as we see in the book of Psalms. Songs of prophecy, or we know them as Messianic Psalms. Oh, those are some of my favorite psalms now in the 150 chapters that we're going to come across the Messianic Psalms because they talk about the life of Christ. It's depicted in the Psalms or it's even predicted in the Psalms, the ministry of Jesus. But then we also have Psalms of praise, Psalms of, of lament and of mourning now. Songs of the faithfulness of God and songs of dependence on God for what God has done, but also for who God is. Do you see how important it is to be able to worship God? And here we are introduced, even as before as we go in the book of Psalms, uh, to the main author who is David, a shepherd, but also the only man in Scripture called a man after God's own heart. We've, we've done a 
now character study already before on the life of David. And we noted the different qualities that he, as he went from a psalmist to a shepherd and as a, from a shepherd to a king and how he held a staff and then he wore a crown and, and how he was really devoted and, and his heart was a heart after God's own heart because he wanted to do the will of God. But David, this man that became a king, loved to worship God. And when I ask you today, how does your worship to God look like? Are you worshiping the Lord? Because David loved to worship God in good times, but he also loved to sing of God's faithfulness in times of trouble. You see how important it is to be worshipers of the Lord, to be committed worshipers, that as David said, you know what, I, I, I want to love the Lord and worship the Lord during good times, but also I'm going to sing of His faithfulness in times of trouble. He cried out to God when he was angry about injustice. And when he cried out to God when he needed comfort during times of personal pain. What a model and example for us today, crying out to God. When you see these Psalms, you see him, him running away from Saul and from his enemies and hiding in a cave. And he's writing these songs, but he's crying out to God. How many songs have you written Prayers have you written in this season that we're living through that are directed towards God and not directed towards anyone else? Do you see how special this is? That in times of injustice, of, of maybe anger, of maybe disillusion, of maybe discouragement, that David taught us to cry out to God for comfort during times of personal pain. Who are you crying out to today? This is what worship means because he knew that worship wasn't limited or praise songs weren't limited to our lips only, but also to our lifestyle. You see, our worship isn't true worship until it goes from our lips into our life. Until it goes from our lips into our life. It was Warren Worsby that said this, true worship manifests itself in action and emanates from a heart of God. It emanates from a heart for God. David had a heart for God and lived a lifestyle of worship. Are you living a lifestyle of worship? Because it doesn't manifest itself. True worship doesn't manifest itself until you have a heart for God now. And you're living a lifestyle of worship. That's why in Romans 12, as we went through it a couple weeks ago, it's talking about our supreme act and pure act of worship. It is to lay your life down in obedience to the Lord. And this act of worship or living a life of worship requires total confidence in God. Where is your confidence today? Because that really shows what you worship or who you worship. When our confidence is in the Lord, it's, it's speaking about a, a, a worship that is geared towards the Lord, a faith that is geared towards the Lord, a dependency that only seeks to please the Lord. A, a life of worship is talking about a person's heart that is submitted to the will of God. And I'm going to tell you something. When, when we're so anxious and we're striving to prove a point, when we're looking to, to make some noise for this world, we never will be true worshipers of God. True worshipers of the Lord. You know how exactly how David fought for injustices? Especially in his own life? He fought them with a heart of worship to God. It was a heart that was pure. It was a heart that was devoted to the Lord. It was a heart that was courageous, that was living a lifestyle of worship. It was a heart that had an active faith for the Lord. 
And here in chapter 1, we're going to see the conditions from God's word on what it means to live a blessed life. What does it mean to live a blessed life? Because the psalmist here is going to tell us what does it mean to live a blessed life. David, a man that knew what it was like to be on the mountaintops of victory and also on the valley lows of, of discouragement, on the valley lows of injustice, on the valley lows of running away from his enemies, he's going to tell us what it means to live now the blessed life. And from verses 1 through 3, he talks about the godly life. And from verses 4 to 6, he talks about the ungodly life. Would you note that? 1 through 3, the godly life. Verses now 4 through 6, the ungodly life. And he teaches us here the way of the righteous and the ungodly contrasted on a side by side. And who truly is enjoying happiness? He encourages us here in chapter 1 to resist even the slightest temptation to compromise when it comes to our convictions. You want to live the blessed life? Then you must refuse even the slightest temptation to compromise when it comes to your godly convictions. That is the truly the blessed life. It's been said before that compromise occurs when our behavior fails to reflect our priorities. I'm going to say that one more time because I really want you to, that really to sink into your heart. That compromise occurs when our behavior fails to reflect our priorities. What are your priorities right now? And, and is your behavior now reflecting godly priorities? Is what you talk about reflecting godly priorities? Because compromise happens when your behavior fails to reflect your godly priorities. And you will only have godly priorities. You will only have uncompromising purity as you're a man and woman of the Word of God. Well, why don't we pray right now as we go to verse 1 of chapter 1 of the first installment of the book of Psalms. <laughs> Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we get to live the blessed life in you. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be rooted and grounded through this book. That you would, Lord, even teach us through this chapter what it means, Lord, to live a life of true happiness. In a world where everyone is looking for happiness, that we would know where to look for it and how to find it. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And from wherever you join us tonight, we say, Amen. Amen. Now, in Psalms 1, verse 1, it says this, and this is going to be such a beautiful psalm. They're going to just break down. This is one of my favorite psalms. It has to be. It says this, Blessed is the man. Now, we're going to just stop there because we really want to know what the word blessed, mean, blessed means and who he's referring to. Now, he said, Blessed is the man. Now, now let's just really look at the word of the man now. He's speaking to a, uh, any kind of man. It's attainable. Blessing is attainable to all kind of man, to all types of social classes, not just to the rich man or to the poor man or to one culture or to the other or to one race or to the other, one purpose, one people or another, but he's talking about any type of man. And he says, blessed is the man. And this is the happiness that comes in living a life of obedience. Because fellowship with God, we're going to learn here through the entire Psalms, that fellowship with God means obedience to God. 
Fellowship with God means obedience to God. You cannot have fellowship with God without obedience to God. You want to have fellowship with Him, you must have obedience towards Him or to the Lord. And this word blessed means an abundance in happiness. Or the word, oh, the joys. (laughs) Oh, the joys. Not a singular, but a plural joys. Now, oh, the joys. Now, Or it speaks about a fulfillment. Now, how many times have you think you thought that something brings you happiness, but it never fulfills you? Well, this makes me happy, but it doesn't fulfill me. It, 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 now, maybe gives me these, these now uh, emotions that are happy momentarily, but they're not completely fulfilling now. This word blessed is the word that we know of in the Hebrew, esher, which means happiness. And it speaks about the condition of one's state or heart. In fact, it means to be straight or to be right. Blessed. To be straight or to be right with God. Notice that. And the righteous man, as he's going to tell us, is the man that will be blessed, straight and right with God. That is the man. Happiness. He's going to find True fulfillment. Everybody is searching for happiness since the the day one of mankind. And we have a void in our hearts of looking for fulfillment. And we try to look for it in different ways or or places and, and, and locations. But we can only find it in the Lord. In obedience to God. In fact, it was our founding fathers of of this country in the Declaration of Independence that said this, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, do you see how everyone is looking for happiness? How people are looking for happiness, yet some never find it. Some never find it. Why is it that some never find it? Because happiness is never found as a direct pursuit. Yes, I said it. (laughs) Happiness is never found as a direct pursuit. In fact, happiness is a byproduct of another pursuit. It is when you pursue God and you pursue holiness that happiness tags along. Isn't that amazing that you learned that through Scripture? That the happiness never comes as a direct pursuit. If you're chasing happiness, you never will be fulfilled. But if you pursue God and you pursue holiness, then that blessed life will tag along. Because happiness is marked and is defined first by what people here refrain to do. In their lifestyle of obedience, in their lifestyle of holiness. Now, it doesn't start here. The psalmist does not start and say, you know what? Happy is the man that does this. No, he says, happy is the man who doesn't do this. <laughs> do you see how he starts off with, uh, happy is the man who doesn't do these things? Happy is the man that refrains from doing this? You see, sometimes in our life, it's more about what we choose not to do than about what we choose to do. It's more about what God's called us to do in a life of obedience, right? It's more about living a life of holiness, and holiness gets, gives us the experience of this blessed life that he's talking about. Then he says, blessed is the man who does one thing, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, there's three positions that the psalmist talks about in verse 1. He talks about the, the, the person that walks, 
that stands or that sits. Doesn't walk in the council, doesn't stand in the path, and doesn't sit in the seat. Doesn't walk in the council, doesn't stand in the path, and doesn't sit in that seat. Now, blesses the man who walks not. Blesses the man here who walks not. It speaks about a casual movement. Walks. A casual movement. Walking casually. Blessed is the man that doesn't follow or casually go after the counsel or the advice of the wicked and the ungodly. Blessed is that person that does not follow the advice of the ungodly. Now this really just allows us to just pause for a moment and ask ourselves, where is it or from whom do you get your advice today? Where do you get your counsel from? Because here it says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk or who doesn't follow the counsel or the advice of ungodly people. Where is it that you're getting your advice from or your counsel? Is it a biblical counsel? Is it a godly counsel? Do you know how to discern between godly and ungodly counsel? There are too many times that we try to now get counsel from the world as to how we ought to live our lives instead of getting counsel from the Word of God. And we start agreeing with everyone else without thinking for ourselves or considering whether this is biblical counsel or is this godly counsel. We, we want to draw a line, we want to make a political stance before we make a biblical stance. And that is not what we ought to do as believers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel or does not follow the advice now from the person that is ungodly. Because a righteous man and woman knows now that they are completely satisfied and fulfilled in godly counsel. This is amazing now. In Psalms 119, later on, verse 24, the psalmist says, Your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Your word is my delight, it is my desire, it is my fulfillment, and your word is my counselor. A lot of times we say, well, I need a counselor. You have a counselor, and it's the Holy Spirit, and it's the word of God. It's our counselor. Blesses the man who walks not now in the counsel and the advice of the ungodly. God's word is always the best counselor. In fact, any godly counselor will know to give and to bring the right advice from God's Word to help someone else when giving them godly counsel. It's not even almost as we are giving the counsel, we're giving biblical direction. Blessed is the man who walks not in the now counsel of the ungodly. You see, where are you walking? Are you following advice from someone that maybe is not living a life that is submitted to the Lord? If you are receiving that type of advice and you want to live that blessed life in the Lord, it will be impossible. It will be impossible to be living the blessed life if you're following the counsel of the ungodly. Now, if you follow the wrong counsel, you will eventually stand with the wrong companions. And finally, you will sit in the wrong places. <laughs> if you now follow the wrong counsel, you will follow and stand with the wrong companions and eventually sit in the wrong places. Because he goes on in verse 1, it says, nor stands in the path of sinners. It doesn't stand, that, that word stands, it means he doesn't now come to take a stand or a position in a place where he doesn't belong. 
He doesn't go to that path that speaks of a way or of a road or of a, a direction uh, that the righteous man is not traveling on. And he says, you know what? This is not the road that I'm called to travel on. This is not the path that I should stand on. He's saying the righteous man does not stand on the path or on the same direction as sinners. Nor stands here in the path of sinners. Where are you standing? Are you standing on the lane or in, are you going down that same direction or traveling down the same path as the world? Because we're not called to do that. There are often times that we compare ourselves with somebody that's not walking with the Lord and we want to be in the place that they're in. But look what it says here. He's not standing in the path or in the same direction as sinners. He doesn't stand around with sinners. He pays attention now to the company that he keeps. He or she keeps. Are you paying attention to the company that you keep? Are you paying attention to the path that you're on? Is it still the godly path that you started on? Or have you moved to another path? Because it says the righteous or the blessed man does not stand in that path of sinners. We're called to stand on a road less traveled. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, what did the Lord say? He said, narrow is a road that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. But on that narrow road, few find it. And the righteous, that what person that is looking for that blessed life, it's saying, Lord, I am okay with now going down that path that is less traveled. In Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist says, You show me the path. Ask the Lord, what path should I be on right now? What lane are you calling me to travel on? Because I'm not called to be and stand on that path of sinners. And in fact, he's saying, you show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This tells us that God has a path for you. And it's a good one for you to take. God's path for you is not the same path that the world is on. Notice, God's path for you is not the same path that the world is on. He goes on in verse 1 and says, Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't join with those that are mocking now the Lord or mocking God's word. He doesn't sit with those that are criticizing the word of God and the people of God. Now we see a lot of believers that are now becoming critical of the church instead of standing with the church because the church is the bride of Christ. And we ought to protect her. We ought to protect her testimony now. Not publicly try to embarrass her, but protect the bride of Christ. Just imagine if the groom saw you now criticizing his bride. <laughs> the Lord is our groom and we ought to protect his bride. He doesn't sit with those that are now being scornful or criticizing the people of God. And here sit means of a permanent, of a settling down, of, of getting comfortable with those that are criticizing the church or, or starts to abide or have a habitation now or a residence and get comfortable. But now he's asked us, where do you walk? Where do you stand? And who do you sit with? Where do you walk? Where do you stand? And who do you sit with? Who do you surround yourself with? Are you comfortable now among those that don't value the Word of God? Are you comfortable among those that are not godly influences providing godly counsel? Because he's speaking of a person who is in the world now, but it's not being affected by the world. And we shall be happy many times over if we maintain a pure walk that the psalmist is talking about when we avoid even the slightest now form of flirtation with sin here. Where do you walk? Where do you stand? Who do you sit with? 
Because that's what happiness is, is maintaining an unblemished moral purity before God. Where it tells us, how do you think with, how do you behave, and whom do you belong to? How do you think, how do you behave, and whom do you belong to? Do you see how he's giving us a position of how we ought to live? How is it that you are thinking today, church? How is it that you are behaving? And whom and where do you belong? Because you don't belong on that path. You don't belong sitting in that place as you are called to live that blessed life. And he's telling us this because sin is a very progressive thing that, that evil takes over now. And, and really what it does, it leads us to more sin. The blessed man will not walk, sit, or stand in these places. Now verse 2 it says, but his delight, this is what he does. His, his joy, his desire, his enjoyment, his hunger is in the things of God. It's in the word of God. That's where his counsel comes from. It's in the word of God. He's not entangled with the world. He's not confused by the world because he's now founded in the word of God. And it says here, and his delight is in the law of the Lord. His hunger, his, his fulfillment, his counsel comes from the Word of God, and look what it tells, and he meditates in it day and night. The word meditate, it means he ponders about it. He talks to himself about it. He reminds himself about it. He memorizes now the Word of God because he's getting his direction. He's getting his obedience now from the Word of God. He meditates on the Word of God. How much meditating on the Word of God have you done lately? There, it is so easy to become so distracted and obsessed with what the world has to say, that you don't have time to meditate and to memorize Scripture and to be saturated in the Word of God where you ponder it and you remind yourself and you're talking to yourself about the Word of God. This is the righteous man, what he does. And he does it only two times. How does he meditate? Only two times is it when he meditates on the Word of God. He meditates on the Word of God day and he meditates on the Word of God night. Isn't that all the time? Meditating on the Word of God all the time. Because if we speak to the Lord about the Word of God, then the Word of God will speak to us about the Lord. If you're in your prayer room, in your prayer closet, in your prayer time, you speak to the Lord about the Word of God, Lord, this is what your Word says, then the Word of God will also speak to you about the Lord. True worship, and the psalmist tells us here, true worship is born from a meditation of Scripture. I want you to remember that today. You want to be a true worshiper? True worship is born from a meditation of Scripture now. And we see it throughout the entire Psalms, that we ought to meditate on the Word of God. What does Joshua 1a tells us? That the, that the Lord is saying, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Meditate on the Word of God, and you shall be prosperous and successful in everything that you do. In Psalms 119, the psalmist says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. It is my delight as much in all riches. I will meditate in your precepts. I want to meditate in the word of God and contemplate your ways. I just want to think about your ways. I will delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. I don't want to forget the word ever. And in order for never forget the word of God, the principles and the precepts of the word of God, in order for us to always remember them, is that we would keep a mind and a heart that is meditating on the word of God, that is being filled in the, by the word of God. What are you meditating on? What are you pondering on? What is your mind fixed on? Is it fixed on the word of God? But his delight, his fulfillment, his desire, his hunger, his thirst comes from the word of God. And he's going to meditate day and night. And because he does that, he shall be 
like a tree. Now notice that. You're either going to be like a tree or you're going to be like a chaff. He shall be like a tree that is what? That is planted by the rivers of water. He's going to be like a tree that is rooted and that is grounded. Like a tree that stands the test of time. That's what he's saying here. Because everything about the tree that he's going to talk about us to us right now is, is valuable. Everything about this tree is productive. Why? Because he's firmly planted by the riverbank. That means he's well watered in the Word of God. That means he has everything that that tree absolutely needs. He's getting all the substance, all the nutrients. He's getting everything that is healthy for that tree because he's planted by the rivers of water. You know, when you are in the Word of God and meditating on the Word of God, you are planted by the rivers of water. By the rivers of water is a place where the tree can spread its roots out very long and grow strong and grow stable. The reason why we have unstable and weak now sometimes seasons in our lives are due to the fact that we stop meditating on the Word of God. You see what it tells us here that in, in its season, it will produce fruit as well. Why? Because it's strong and it's stable now. It has a place to grow. It has a place to spread its roots now. And it's talking to us here in verse 2 that that tree is a, is a tree of strength, is a tree of stability. And it's in the Lord. It's in His Word because His Word now in His life, the life of Christ, is flowing through us as we're connected in the Word of God. There's no shortcuts to now spiritual growth. And here He's speaking to us about it. Not only that, but look at what this tree does. It brings forth fruit in its season. This is evidence of abiding in the Word of God. In John 15, it tells us that we abide. We're going to produce fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit now. And it produces fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Notice that. Whatever he does shall prosper. Because it brings fruit in its season. What, what kind of season does it bring fruit in? In its season. There are often times that we get discouraged because there's no fruit coming out of our lives. But as we are founded and rooted and grounded in the Word of God, as we're stable and strong now, fruit will come in its season. And sometimes we want the fruit now. But here it's talking about a tree that is patiently rooted and grounded and whose leaves now are never dried up. They're never dead. It never, this tree has never experienced this deadness or this dryness because it's always green and it's always alive now. It's prospering now, it tells us here. It will not wither and will prosper in whatever he does. Now what does that mean? That I'm going to be very successful if I'm in the Word of God? No, really what it's talking about here is that God will be able to produce now fruit from your life, the righteous, that are not walking, standing, or sitting in the wrong places. He's able to fulfill His purpose in your life because you are now planted in the right place. God cannot fulfill and will not fulfill His purpose for your life when you are sitting, standing, or walking in the wrong places. Sometimes we rob ourselves of strength and stability as believers because we are not planted in the right place. But notice quickly from verses 4 to 6 what he tells us. But the ungodly are not so. Now he gave us a contrast between what the godly are, what they don't do, and where they are planted. And now he speaks about the ungodly. But the ungodly are not so. Look at this. Is a, this is beautiful. Because the psalmist now is going to give us this contrast. And he says, they are not like that tree. In fact, but they are like a shaft 
which the wind drives away. He speaks about now the wheat and the chaff and during harvest season. That as, as what they would do is that they would throw out the, the, up the wheat and the grain and all that was the chaff, the wind would just blow it away because it had no substance. It had no value. It was lacking substance and the wind would just blow it away. You see, the chaff, the wind drives away. It scatters it because it is so light and it's separated by the wind when it is thrown up. It's not real. It's not the real grain. I believe even in the parable where Jesus said, you know what, the, the he will separate at the end of time the wheat now from the chaff. The real from what the not real is. And here he's speaking, look, at the, the wicked man is going to be just thrown up and he is so unstable, he is carried away by any kind of wind. I pray that you would be planted so you're not carried away during these seasons. That as we're living in the last days, you will not be the, that chaff, but you'll be that tree. That chaff gets carried away by anything. Gets carried away by anything that they hear. But the tree is planted on the truth of God's word. He's distinguishing here from that which is stable to that which is easily carried away. And he says here, but the chaff, well, he is not like the chaff which is, which is carried away and is driven away by the wind. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Look at the ungodly. They're not going to stand the way they think they're standing today. See, the ungodly maybe think they're standing, but when it comes to the day of judgment, they're not going to stand. They're going to be condemned. The righteous man will stand in blamelessness. The wicked man, maybe today he thinks he stands and he rules and he reigns and he has something to say. And he's proudful, standing. But on the day, the day of judgment, he will not stand on that day. The ungodly. Because he will be condemned now. In fact, he's saying he has, the sinner has no place in the congregation or among the godly. This is so true now. Because sin, the sinner, that person that hasn't repented, that person is like, that who is like a shat, that is carried away, easily carried away by anything, is not going to have the same glorious future as the righteous. Do you notice that? Do you see how that works there? They will not share the same glorious future. That's what we're called to be able to stand, sit, and walk in the plan of God as Ephesians 1 and 2 tells us. Isn't that amazing that we can stand, sit, and walk in heavenly places? As the Lord has now made us new. And now verse 6 as we conclude. For the Lord knows the way now of the righteous. I want you to circle where it says the Lord knows. Circle that. The Lord knows. What does it mean the Lord watches over? He knows the way. A lot of times we ask ourselves what is the way? In the book of Acts the way was referring to the Christians. The way was referring to the godly. The followers of Christ. The disciples. The Lord knows. Maybe right now you're asking, what's going on in this world? The Lord knows. <laughs> what is taking place in my life? If you're following the Lord, the Lord knows. And it's speaking about He is watching over. He is protecting. And look at this. He is preserving. When it says the Lord knows, it means that He's always protecting and preserving the godly. No matter what happens in life, the Lord always will protect and preserve the godly. And that's what he's speaking to us about. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God is watching over the path of the godly. He is protecting and preserving them. But in the path of the wicked, notice this, they will not receive the protection and preservation in the, whack, the way of the wicked. They will not receive that same protection because the way of the wicked now 
or the ungodly shall perish. What is that talking about shall perish? It leads to destruction. The way of the ungodly leads to destruction. Why? Because they are on a broad path. And it may seem comfortable right now. It may give them a lot of now fulfillment right now. It might give them even a lot of company right now. But let me ask you something. You don't want to stand with the popular crowd. Jesus spoke about the popular crowd. And he said, I want you to stand on the narrow road. On the road less traveled. You don't have to stand with the crowd. If you're always standing with the crowd, I'd be really concerned about if that crowd is the godly one. Because you might be standing with the crowd or the wicked here, the ungodly stands with the crowd now, but they are to be destroyed. They perish. They don't have the everlasting life. And he sets the tone, the psalmist here, for the next 149 psalms that we will go through. He sets the tone about where the righteous man is planted. About where and whom you will grow with. This is so amazing because he's already spoken to us about what it means to live a life of true happiness. What does it mean to live a life of true happiness? It means to live a life in fellowship with God, in obedience. Not walking, standing, or sitting where you shouldn't be, but be planted by the rivers of water and delighting and meditating on the Word day and night. That is the man and the woman that is fulfilled, that is filled now with the Spirit of God, with contentment. Oh, the joy of that man and woman that is planted by the rivers of water, spreading its roots, giving forth fruit, because his delight is in the law of the Word of God. And he meditates on it day and night. You know, as we end tonight, I just want to encourage you to meditate, on the Word of God. And maybe tonight you need to just turn everything off now after and just open your Bible and take out a journal and say, Lord, I want to meditate on your Word and I want to write your promises for my life because I don't want to receive the counsel from this world, ungodly counsel, ungodly advice because it will lead me to stand in a place where I don't need to stand. It will take me to a place where I do not belong. It is not the path that you have for me, Lord. I want the counsel that comes from the Word of God. Can we pray together that God gives us that counsel from His Word, that it's so available to us already? Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, Jesus. And we ask, Lord, right now, Lord, that You would give us the counsel from Your Word. Lord, even in a, in a time where the culture and the world is drawing the line and is forcing us to choose what path we're on, Lord, that we would not be moved with the crowd. I pray that the church would not be moved with the crowd, but they would realize where they're called to be planted. That we are not like chaff that lacks substance, that are not weighty in where they're planted, Lord. Chaff is easily driven away by the wind. It's easily carried away, Lord. We don't want to be the chaff that are just carried away by everything we hear. We want to be a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that is receiving everything that it needs because it's delighting in the Word of God and is giving fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and it is abiding and it is producing the life of Christ. We ask, Lord, that we would be people that are producing the life of Christ, especially in the time that we live in. That we would be a people that is producing the blessed life, the life of Christ that is fulfilled in the Word of God. And we put this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen.